Welcome to the Friday service. TGIF. Friends, I have received a divine direct message. What I have been tasked with forwarding, thank you, Jesus. What I am posting today is not about a podcast, but a Godcast. A Godcast online. Godcasting to the information superhighway. Praise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now here is what I need you to do. Praise God. I need you to get out your telephone. Praise God. I need you to find speakallevil.com. Praise God. I need you to find. Thank you, Jesus. I need you to like. Praise God. I need you to subscribe forever and ever and ever. Amen. Lord, help me speak all evil. Just touch somebody and tell them the Lord is blessing me. I've never read the Bible, let's pretend, and I don't understand that type of um, language. Tell me how that applies in my own life. Well, um, why I'm screaming is um, the Bible definition of preaching is Isaiah 58.1. It says, cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Stay away from the Bible. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent. I am deep down in the dragon's lair. This week, Faith. Everybody chose a faith-based film, and we're hoping to exercise some demons, be they literal or figurative. Um, I think we are going to start at the start. The cat you chose, 1973's The Exorcist, the one that yes. kind of started it all, arguably. We can argue more mm-hmm. about that later. Um, this, is, uh, this is one of your favorites. It's definitely, yeah, it's in my top my top horror movies just because I remember being completely scared shitless when I saw this movie because I, I don't remember how old I was. I was definitely young, but I was convinced in that moment that God and the devil were both real and they both probably hated me and I shit my pants. Um, <laughs> I saw it <laughs> just like, I think it was such the just like the body horror aspect of it just like so vulgar like this tiny girl who's probably my age at the time of me watching it just dropping bombs left and right and just like the bed shit just the the start of 
the you know exorcism films like thinking i'm seeing an actual real exorcism happening in front of me was just uh it was a real mind boggler to tiny cat i also saw it in my very religious aunt's home like secretly like i was in <laughs> one of the side bedrooms like watching it on this tiny like 10 inch tv and just like as a weird act of of tiny cat defiance um she also didn't like it when i watched south park either so i had to do that very very quietly the church wins i mean the church is the good guys in the exorcist that's the only part i didn't like yeah <laughs> that was the real bummer for me really having to side with the church people um but our our beautiful linda blair that's where that's where it all started um obviously i think most people know the plot of the movie that there's an exorcism that happens because there's a demon there's a demon inside well let me let um, me get this let me get this straight you're telling me that <laughs> there's an exorcism in the exorcist i know <laughs> nobody saw it coming it was quite the twist um but yeah i and who's what else is the mom in kevin she's like a character actress kevin, right? let's go i, I hear your i hear your music Ellen Burstyn. Uh, Ellen Burstyn plays Chris McNeil, who is Reagan's mom. Reagan is Linda Blair in the movie. Um, I don't have a list. You can look her up. She's been in everything, but she's one of only 25 actors to have ever won the Triple Crown of Acting. So she won an Academy Award, an Emmy Award, and a Tony Award in the acting categories. That is why you recognize her, uh, although you may not know her name. But yeah, she's the real fucking deal. Also, I want to say I'd like to start a band called Captain Howdy. I call that band name. I so guarantee you it's out. already been taken. I, would, I will bet <laughs> I everybody on the show 50 bucks there's already a band called Captain Howdy. I have a little bad news for you on that, cat. And uh, Kevin, you might, be, you might be interested to know this. I don't know if you're familiar with Dee Snyder's movie Strangeland. Oh, Captain Howdy's the bad Dee guy. Snyder of Twisted oh. Sister fame. Uh, he made a horror movie back in the early aughts uh, called Strangeland, and his character as the villain monster guy was Captain Howdy. Dee Snyder? I that at the time. I, yeah, I, it I wasn't bad, I actually. I yeah, did. I did bad. not mind it at the time. From Twisted Sister? Yeah, from Twisted, Twisted Sister. Sister. Yeah. Oh, good job, millennial. Nice job. Thank. Oh, thank you. Yes, I have. I have some facts too. No, we should have watched uh, D. Snyder's acclaimed film for the uh, music. The the music episode. There's still we got time. Lo- we got lots of time. We'll we'll get to Strangeland. <laughs> I hope. I hope that's not for a long time. <laughs> Kevin, can you can you hit us with some more facts on this I one? I have a couple facts. With I have a couple facts. The Exorcist. I, I, I don't um, usually yeah, yeah. have facts. I have two facts. Oh, yeah, I'm saying like go. jump in anytime. I'd sneak in two facts. One might be yours. I bet you have this one, Kevin. But th- that he shot a gun. <laughs> so everyone would be scared. And he also made a, like, when you could see their breath in the movie, that's because they were cold. He actually built Reagan's bedroom set inside a freezer and kept it, like, super oh. cold. I think it was, like, 2 I to was... 8 C. Which I have, a, I have a giant cold room at work that is kept at 2 to 8 Celsius. And... It's awesome in the summer. It totally sucks any other time of year. Um, yeah, what, so... What would the temperature be uh, for America? I want to say, like, 34. Like, not quite freezing, but not, like, Ooh, let's... Chilly. Yeah, let's not go out in shorts and a t-shirt. I mean, I guess your real hardcore Mainers probably would, but... 
I was thinking they must have had all these smoke machines. I was like, man, it's like, why do they? Why does it have to be freezing cold in there? Why is the devil's room so cold that you know they're all blowing steam out of their mouths? No, that was really just Freakin being a complete psychopath. Um, so. You know, he was constantly directing, like, stunt coordinators to violently pull on harnesses. So all the scenes that you see in The Exorcist where Reagan's flailing around and Chris, the mother, is thrown across the room, they're, they're actually hooked up to harnesses that stunt coordinators were yanking on. And Freakin would stop shots and be like, you're not fucking pulling hard enough. Like, jerk mm. them around. So both of them sustained back injuries. Dave, you're right. He would fire blanks during scenes to get the guys. And one of them pissed off Jason Miller. Miller playing Father Damien um, so bad because it literally scared the shit out of him. So some of the reactions you see in this movie, they're not acting. It's literally someone just shot a gun behind their ear and they're like, what the fuck? Jesus H. Christ. Yeah, so he built, and then he built the bedroom, you know, in a freezer. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I was reading that and, and watching like a documentary on The Exorcist and thinking like, you know, this is the 1970s. Like, they didn't have, like, Under Armour cold gear. So those motherfuckers were just in, like, their costumes for the movie, you know, being oh. frozen to death. I mean, it's been 46 years, and it's still turning heads. No! <laughs> this is a good goddamn movie. I mean, it's one of the scariest... I thought it was scary as hell. Jesus fucking Christ, this movie is so fucking scary. Fucking none. This is crazy. You gotta see it. Fuck my cunt! I just, I just like, I just like, he, I just like hearing "fuck my cunt." Of that course. was my favorite. Is that is that why you wanted to do like an exorcist like intro of me just saying that? I you know, let's not give away. All, can we? Can we just? I know this. We like to pull back the curtain from time to time, but if we cannot give away all our secrets, you know, in the middle of while we're doing the episode, maybe some things. Uh, we can sort of leave to the imagination. I encourage my kid to swear, and she won't even do it. I tried to create a holiday. I was like, hey, how about this? Like, this one day a year, you can say any word you want, and she wouldn't do it. Uh, a purge. I've let Nora listen to any music, watch any movie, and it's like she won't do it. So the one time that she swore by accident, we were at a restaurant. And there was this really drunk guy <laughs> talking to all these firefighters, and they were, like, humoring him. But he went to the bathroom, and they all started shitting on him. So I leaned forward at the restaurant, and I looked at Allison and Nora, and I was like, oh, my God, those firefighters are so shitting on that guy. And Nora leaned in and goes, who are they shitting on? And it took, like, two <laughs> seconds for her to realize what she said, and she burst into tears. <gasps> oh, like, no. We had to be like, no, it's totally fine. You just said that word. <laughs> like, oh, what a sweet baby angel. It seems like all possessed uh, kids in movies, uh, and there's a whole, this is not the only exorcist uh, movie about exorcism, obviously, but it seems like it's always um, the daughters. Like, there's never any, are there any movies where a young, a young lad is exorcised? No, and I'm glad you brought that up because I listened to a ton of stuff on not just this, but another movie we'll talk about later, Trent, your pick. Um... And they point that out. It's always it's always the girl. And and the messed up thing is a lot of these will be loosely based on real. Uh, I'm using air quotes. Real exorcisms that happened, and they almost all involve a boy. This one was based on a boy named Roland Doe, which <laughs> immediately I was like, "You named your kid Roland Doe? 
Well, so, his parents his parents owned a pizza shop. Is that right? <laughs> I think it's what it was. Hey, they at least called him Robbie, okay? What are what are we talking about? The guy the, there's a boy who the Exorcist was based on a true story. I, I thought it was oh, okay. a novel. I thought it was based on a novel. Was the novel was based, based on a true the story? The novel, I'm sorry, the novel was based on this Peter Blatty wrote the novel, but it, he loosely based it on what was allegedly a real exorcism performed in 1949 on, on Roland Doe um, by priest William Bowden. And as all of these priests started dying, because there was a whole thing with the Catholic Church where you were not allowed to talk about exorcisms or any of that stuff. Um, but as these priests started getting older and passing away, like on their deathbeds, they would basically confess that all of it was bullshit. <laughs> That basically, like, it. Roland Doe was just a shitty little kid. Uh, and they were totally <laughs> totally using it to market the Catholic Church. Seems about right. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't really, uh, I don't know if I would consider it, you know, cheering the church if you want to get the demon out of this, um, this young gal. And actually, um, one of the, um, one of the priests, puts himself uh, I mean I guess we don't really have to worry about spoiling the exorcist but he sacrifices himself um for the um for the for Reagan's sake um I pro- I don't think I actually ever saw this movie from beginning to end as an adult person I'm pretty sure I just used to see it all the time like on cable TV growing up you know the exorcist would always be on so I was pretty familiar with it but watching it um now from from end to end I was uh, totally blown away by it. Like pretty, pretty riveted to the whole two. That's a good solid two hours, right? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And it's not. You it's guys not. Always complain uh, about long movies. I love long movies. Yeah. Well, as long as they're if they're good and interesting, yeah, I exactly. have no problem with it. But this didn't. It didn't try to like wow you out the out the gate. It was really well paced. Uh, it really, t- it kind of takes its time setting up, but it doesn't lose any suspense that way. I didn't think. Yeah, me and Trent tried to see this. We went to some uh, local horror uh, showing, and they were showing this movie in the basement oh, of yeah. a bar. And we didn't think it was The Exorcist at first. <laughs> so yeah, we're like, you, yeah. they're in a desert? Like, what's like, going what is on? This? Like, Raiders of the Lost Star? I think they got the wrong yeah. movie on. Yeah. Some guy in Iraq on an archaeological dig. Where, where's Linda Blair spitting up yeah. pea soup? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's confusing. Um, I definitely never understood it until I like looked it up, um, you know, years ago. I think, um, do you remember they did like The Exorcist, the beginning, where they kind of tried to explain all of that stuff in Iraq a lot more. Um, so I went back to that, and obviously the book is going to explain it a lot more. Um, but it's Max von Sydow as Father Lancaster Marin, who they show in Iraq, and they're sort of alluding to the fact that he has already performed an, ex- an exorcism and he has come across the demon that it's will not, end um, up. It's not Max von Sydow, the guy that just died, isn't that how you say? Oh, I, I'm not sure. I'm never going to profess to uh, to. Oh, pronounce I'm not either. Name but right. he just <laughs> he just died a couple weeks ago. Max von Sydow, kind of a legendary Did he actor. Really? Yeah, yeah. R.I.P. Big R.I.P. Yeah, you know what the fucked up thing? You mentioned the special effects, Dave. This guy named Dick Smith did it. And in that movie, Von Sidlow, um, you know, R.I.P., 
Uh, he was only 44 <laughs> no, no, years you old. Can't, no, 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 no. Don't RIP him now. <laughs> you didn't even know. Trying to you didn't even know he was alive. You didn't even know he was alive. The, the crazy thing is, is like, you, you watch movies now, like, if you go back and watch, like, like the Red Dragon remake where they tried to pull in Anthony Hopkins as, uh, as Hannibal Lecter, but that movie takes place, like, 20 years before Silence of the Lambs, and they digitize him to look, you know, younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this one, they do the opposite. They just use practical makeup, and they make um, Father Lancaster look 30 years older than he was in real life. So when you watch The Exorcist, understand that Lancaster was only 44 years old, and look at some oh. of the practical effects they pulled off with him. Yeah. All right, I, I need to stop fucking nerding out. I've got like 12 pages no, of notes on you're this movie. No, no, you're killing it. Yeah, great. you're you're doing. You're, You're doing, doing great. great. I don't have that like. Um, it's a great movie. I'm not, you know. It's it's a classic. I loved it. For me, I was much. Um, you know, sometimes we've talked about this. These older classics don't necessarily always, you know, stand the test of time for a contemporary viewer who's used to uh, more modern things and they've seen a thousand takes on it and you, it might not hold your interest for the whole two plus hours running time. I didn't, um, I wasn't exactly riveted by Rosemary's Baby, for example. Dave doesn't think that Dawn of the Dead is is uh, quite as sturdy now. And so I wasn't really expecting, I was kind of, to be honest, I was expecting like, all right, we're going to watch a crusty old classic again this week <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to be fine, probably kind of boring, but it is a classic, so... Um, but I get it now, and I totally get uh, more than ever why it was so controversial at the time. Like this was a big deal the um, the obscenity and the violence. Um, it was very controversial when it, when it was released to theaters. Well, when when movies like classic movies, sometimes what happens is they're so influential that everybody that's making these bad movies are copying. Yes. Some of the techniques. Mm. So what happens is you get numb to these techniques and then you go back and you watch them and you have to put yourself in the mind frame that this is the first time they did these effects and even the cinematography uh, that was groundbreaking and, and they pioneered this. So This is one that the um, the effects and, and things hold up. Like they, It doesn't seem right away. It's not one where you go, like, oh man, it's so rudimentary. Now it, it seems so basic, and um, it's hard to be scared. But this really still like totally works. I mean, I w- I thought it was really scary and really uh, really affecting. Yeah, I've been watching a lot of horror movies as of late. Obviously, you don't say <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> um, but a lot of the times I'm like, eh, whatever, like roll over, go to sleep. But this time I was like, I was pretty spooked. Like I definitely had my TV on. I had a little nightlight going. Cause it's spooky. Demons can come from wherever. It doesn't matter if you lock your door or not. They come through your soul. Well, <laughs> yeah. The whole. I mean, the whole const. This this movie. We talk about a lot of a lot of these movies that the they play up the marketing and they say, oh, somebody passed out at a screening or oh my god, ambulances showed up. The Exorcist is one of the first horror movies that played this to perfection. Uh, the studio was so scared that nobody was going to show up because people were really pissed off about this movie. Um, and it ended up absolutely destroying it at the box office. Think about the fact that a movie in 1973 made for $12 million, which is a lot of money at the time. It made $441 million at the box office. That's 1973 money. That would be over $2 billion today. 
And think about the fact that this movie made that at a time when people were way more prudes than they are now. And you need to make a vow of faith of a thousand dollars. Oh, Bob, couldn't you say 25? No! You can't make a thousand dollar vow of faith. I'm saying in faith. We got people that don't have teenagers that have no, hardly nothing going for them. They got enough faith to make a thousand dollar vow and send those five dollars here and ten dollars there as God begins to move like a whirlwind in their life. This isn't the way we do it in my church. Forget your church. Forget your church. I'm talking about what God says. And if you want the kind of miracles that are in the Bible, you're going to have to do what God said to do. I'm talking about your money because your money is you. It's your blood. It's your sweat. It's your tears. It's driving down the freeways. It's going to work. It's believing. It's you. And letting go of it. Thank you, Lord. I have said your word. Uh, Dave, you chose this week uh, the film Frailty from 2001. This is on a lot of underseen, underappreciated horror thriller lists. You'll find this movie there. Um, I actually, when you mentioned this, I had it totally confused with the movie Identity from 2003. You guys know that? Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you said frailty, I was thinking, oh, identity. That was really cool. I'm not sure I ever. Uh, I'm not sure I actually had seen frailty before. So, how did how did you uh, come to pick this one? I, I exactly as you were saying. I was, you know, reading through uh, underrated movies, um, lesser known horror thrillers, uh, because I run out of things to watch. I watch so many horror movies that I dig through these blogs. Uh, to try to find something and I came across Frailty I didn't actually see it when it came out in 2001 I saw it more like probably five, four or five years ago um, but going into this this whole faith thing um, you know I'm definitely an atheist but the whole like fear of God um, you have two different types you have you know that you're allies with God and demons are trying to get you and then you have the fear of the people that believe in God or, or believe in anything, that, that believe in something so strongly that um, they will kill over some sort of conflict of view on it. Um, and that's what this movie comes from, is this um, Bill Paxton uh, stars in and directs Frailty um, and Matthew McConaughey's in it. Mm. Um, as his son. It did not take long for him to get. Uh, he was shirtless early on, uh, which I don't 10. mind. I don't mind because <laughs> the the actors that aren't just buffed their whole career, um, you know, like I'm mad if like you know Zac Efron doesn't have to play some guy who works at like a VHS rental store all buff because you know you need a fat guy you know um, but the guys like Matthew McConaughey who like he's gotten fat he's gotten super skinny he's like had AIDS uh, mm-hmm. I respect that so he can do it he can take off his shirt if he's going through one of those phases where he's super buff and he's great in this movie uh, I thought the scenes with him he's telling the story to an FBI agent and uh those portions of the film are very like film noir um, and then they're flashbacks to him as a child and the way the story plays out it's you know you, again you can't give away much with this movie uh, because it's all in how this story plays out yes uh, I think the pace of this this story uh, was great 
Um, and the, the fears and the questions it raises and the way it switches perspective on, you know, I, I think there's been a few movies that I've picked where, um, or, or at least I see you that I talk about a lot, uh, where this, the shift of perspective uh, is really cool because you kind of feel betrayed while you're watching it or you feel like, like, well, wow, I, I would have fallen for that, you mm -hmm. know? And you've, d you've um, said, Dave, you hate it when a movie pulls shit like that on you in like a lowbrow way, like they think you're stupid. Um, right. And I think you're, 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 you've been throwing out some movies as of late uh, that do it, I think, in a very smart way. Um, and, and basically this movie is, is a, a, a guy goes into an FBI agent and just says, I know who this serial killer is. It's my brother. Now let me tell you about my childhood. And then in flashbacks, it follows two sons and their dad, who is Bill Paxton, who is by all accounts the greatest dad. Um, and then one day just comes home and says, hey, you know what? God spoke to me, gave me a list of demons. We have to destroy them, not kill them. They're not murders. We have to destroy demons. And then not hilarity ensues. <laughs> I like the um, I like the Ham's beer placement right very early in the oh, movie. Yeah, yeah. Yes, um, awesome drinking beer. the Ham's beer at the dinner table with the kids and smoking butts. Yeah, fun fact that know, was they could only find one um, Ham vintage Ham's beer can, so he just had to keep pretending to drink from the same one. Got some Ham's facts. Oh yeah, I noticed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is from the perspective of two brothers, uh, Fenton and Adam. And, uh, as a child, um, I was always very curious about religion. I would always drive by the churches, my, my family, who's not religious and say, you know, who lives there? And they would be like, Oh, God lives there. So one Easter, for whatever reason, I had to go to church with my family and we just tried it out, I guess. Maybe they made some new friends. I don't know how it happened. But we go to church, and I immediately just start screaming, that's not God, at the uh, the minister or priest or whatever you call them. And it was the only time I ever got spanked as a kid. So this whole fear of God thing, you know, like really uh, sticks with me, uh, the, the fear that these kids have that this God is is telling their father to do these crazy things that seem, you know, like what the hell is going on? But, uh, you know, they still do it, uh, under the guise of the protection of God and something bigger than, than us. I liked the, um, the dead zone thing. If you've ever seen the movie, the dead zone or read the book by Stephen King, where you, um, where you, this is a power that the father, and believes that he has where you can put your hands on someone and he's when he puts his hands on someone he sees their past the sins and the things that make them and why they're a demon the dead zone does it the other way where when he touches someone he sees their future and i, I thought this was kind of a cool it to me it kind of alludes to like the the old like i don't know if they're pentecostal or baptist revival tent kind of stuff with the healing the laying on of hands where people come down and the priest puts his hands on them they feel the lord and they start getting cured and the you know the bad the poisons leave their body people like to have like diseases come down and think that this guy's pulling he's he's he pulled the cancer out of a um so i thought i, I thought it was kind of a cool twist on that whole laying on of hands uh, extremist religion thing 
<laughs> talking in tongues, you know? Trent, you're actually exercising Dave right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm convinced that the uh, makers of True Detective Season 1 watched this film and then basically made <laughs> a series based on Matthew McConaughey just sitting at a table telling one person, <laughs> telling Good a call. cop about what had happened. Because I started it and I'm like, is it... Is this True Detective? Was this a part of it? Awesome! I get to watch this again. I didn't think the twists were that twist. Like I, I have, I do about? have to say, I, I gotta, I gotta be honest. It's like three twists in a row. It's like twist, twist, I, I, twist. I gotta be honest. Contrary. I'm not being contrary. <laughs> you know, I wish when, when I'm go. talking about how, you know what what I saw in a movie, and I, people accuse me of being contrarian if it's not the same as what they saw. But how did you That's not like the first, let's say, three or four twists? Like sure. It's pretty obvious to me. I'm just, you know, I'd like to hear, you know, maybe people can email me, Trent at speakallevil.com. Tell me that all of these twists um, surprised you and you didn't see any of them coming. Like, if you just think ahead, you're like, well, you know, not that they weren't good. Just, I, I didn't surprise me that much. There's, there's one at the end that... Um, yeah, I guess technically it didn't surprise me. Like, I wasn't like, whoa. Like, it was more like one of those twists when it's like you, you lead right up to it and then you're like, oh, here we go. Oh, yeah, of course. So you still sort of didn't really have the surprise there for me anyway. So there there is one more aspect to this. Um, and I don't know, Kat, I think I threw you a grenade this week. Um this was loosely based on a real-life serial killer named Joseph Collinger, uh, who did some really fucked up stuff um, with his own son. And uh, mm. Brent Hanley, who is also in the, uh, the DVD commentary and, and does a great job, uh, he wrote the script and he said that uh, a movie, The Night of the Hunter, which is uh, a 1955 movie, was a big inspiration for him. But he also said the real-life serial killer, uh, Joseph Collinger, was, was uh, a big inspiration for the script. Yeah, so Joseph Callinger, Callinger, I have no idea how to pronounce it, but he's a piece of shit, so it doesn't matter. Um, he had a pretty shitty life growing up, I would say. He was put up for adoption immediately after he was born, and then spent some time in a mental hospital um, for a couple years after his first wife left him because he beat her so bad. Um, he eventually went on to have, I want to say like five kids. Um, he was not charged but he was arrested for beating them all terribly as you do back in 1950 to 70 i think he was he did his slaying i would say in the 70s -hmm. um but what he told his children is that he began hearing the voice of god through a disembodied head called charlie that's cute kind of like a uh uh what was the exorcist name the Captain band Howdy. name I'm a Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy. Howdy. Yeah. Kind of like a Captain Howdy situation. Cap- it was Captain Charlie. Totally Captain Charlie. <laughs> um, but I he think he was stated, an admiral. Oh, sorry. Admiral Charlie. Um, he stated that uh, he needed to start killing young boys and cutting their penises off. So he uh, enlisted his 13-year-old son to help him. And then went on to uh, murder a 10-year-old boy. And then after that, murdered his other son with the help of his 13-year-old son, Michael, who he tried to murder after that, but it didn't work. He was just found wandering 
uh, the streets with a, a massive head wound from a botched murder. Um, he eventually um, attacked, started attacking women and sexually assaulting them, and it finally kind of came to a, a close when he uh, tried to like kind of hold hostage an entire house full of people and then obviously someone got away to get the police but he ended up slitting a woman's throat because she wouldn't bite someone's penis off and then he was found guilty and after that kind of the craziness from his brain kind of got exposed did he did he have a cool did he have a cool name like um, God's hands, because this in this movie, the killer that the FBI agent is pursuing is called the God's hand killer, or wait, God, yeah, the God's hand killer. Yeah. What, what was, was did, did this guy have that kind of name? Um, he didn't, but he did tell police that he's been alive for thousands of years, and it was mostly as a butterfly. So we could call him hmm. the cute little butterfly killer. We could <laughs> preempt. We could just like make up a name for him now. The, the, my other favorite part of this movie is um, Powers Booth, who plays the FBI mm-hmm. agent. He's like, imagine, first of all, he does, he's like so, he's a perfect agent. Um, imagine having, and that's his real name, Powers Booth. Makes me think like, imagine growing up with the name Powers Booth. Like, you probably <laughs> would be so much more confident and uh, people would respect you like, oh, what's your name? Booth. Powers powers booth just really um unfortunately though his character is like the most careless fbi agent of all time like he's working on (laughs) the biggest case of his career he's so obsessed with this case he's got pictures his whole office is like pictures of the crime scenes gruesome ones and you know this is his big thing and he just decides to get in the car on a rainy night with some guy he's never met, and he doesn't tell his partner what he's doing, tells him to go home, doesn't call the, the FBI office or anything, uh, no no phone calls needed, doesn't even have a family he needs to tell he's going to be late or whatever, makes like mm-hmm. one call to the local sheriff, eh, doesn't seem to care about any help at all, and just takes this whole rogue mission into the middle of the night. Didn't seem like the smartest move. There are a lot of criticisms of like, oh man, that's a really empty FBI building. And like the yeah. lead investigator <laughs> on the biggest active serial killer case is just chilling alone and yeah, is like, chill. let's t- let's take a ride. Um, but I, I liked it. Um, and we've talked about how like we kind of hate voiceovers in films, but Matthew McConaughey's in this. I, I really don't mind it. Like I kind of dig. Matthew McConaughey can can do no wrong in my but, eyes. But the He's, cool thing about that is they realized they needed that at the at the 11th hour when they were shooting. So they actually put Matthew McConaughey in the back of a car and had him record that with just a voice audio recorder. And they were like, yeah, whatever, j- let's just get it down. And then they went back and put him in a real studio and had him do it in a real studio. But the audio you hear in the movie is from the back of the car because uh, Paxton and the producers ended up liking the way that he sounded better. Didn't it rain, children? Rain, oh yes. Didn't it? Yes, didn't it? You know it didn't, didn't it? Oh, oh yes, how it rained. I said it rained, children. Rain, oh yes. Didn't it? Yes, didn't it? You know it Okay, my selection this week was The Last Exorcism, a 2010 film directed by Daniel Stom, 
who does mostly TV stuff. You might know him from the Into the Dark series or Fear the Walking Dead. Um, this is a movie that I went to at the theater. Very skeptical. Um, somebody, I think, dragged me to this, and I was thinking, oh, it's, you know, some teeny bopper possession movie. It's going to be pretty weak sauce. Um, but I was really surprised. Um, I really loved it. It's um, technically, I guess, a found footage, but unlike most found footage movies, they don't really do the, like, shaky handheld cam thing that much. Um, they're not really trying to discombobulate you. Uh, it's about a second-generation exorcist from the South whose dad was an exorcist, and he's been in the business his adult life, and he wants to expose the business uh, to the filmmakers as a scam because it's all a scam, and he just wants to show them all his tricks and how he goes about making people believe that he has exorcised their kid, generally, um, a child, obviously, usually, but... Um, what ends up happening is he um, takes a case that turns out to be a little more than he bargained for and challenges his own belief in the process. So I'm a big fan of this one. I think this is a little underseen. Probably most people like me see it and think like, ah, what is this crap? But I liked it. What did you guys think? I liked it. Uh, when you say that uh, he's mostly a TV director, I definitely saw that in it. Although for found footage, most of these cameramen... Uh, they, they probably should die because most of the time you can't even see what's going on. Uh, they, they're not very good at their job. Um, you were right about the found. This is a good quality found footage movie, although it has definitely some production plot holes. I have some. Uh, I feel like I have a hard time with found footage films a lot because I'm wondering who edited this footage then. Like you just found it perfectly edited with all no, the B-roll spliced in. Who, I guess, sure. Yeah, they find the film and then someone puts it together to try to make sense of what it is. And then that's what you see. Complete with B-roll? Yeah, they found, the B, they found the B-roll too. Kevin will probably be able to back me up on this, but um, the, the brother from Get Out, who uh, I really like. I love him. Uh, he's in this as like a small child. He's also from anti, Antiviral. Yeah, you brought Which that I up that you watched week. that. That's Cronenberg's son, uh, Brandon. Yeah, I, I, he's a good actor. What's the actor's name? Caleb Sweetser. So one of the cool things about this, well, maybe not cool, but a bunch of the actors actually go by uh, their first name, even in the movie. So Caleb Sweetser plays Caleb Landry Jones, um, who is the brother of the girl that what you're talking about, Trent, is Cotton Marcus is the, the exorcist, the child pastor okay uh, who's let's, turned let's into a celebrity i'm a little confused about what who so who who is the the exorcist in this movie the protagonist cotton marcus cotton marcus that's his real name pa no played by patrick fabian cotton marcus is the exorcist played by patrick fabian yep all right and then who is the other character you were talking about so Dave was talking about Caleb Sweetser, who plays uh, an, a character called Caleb Landry Jones. And then you have um, Louis Sweetser, who is played by Louis Hertham. He is the father. Um, and then you have Nell Margaret Sweetser, who is played by Ashley Bell. She is the uh, allegedly possessed character in this movie. Um, and then you have the other uh, people on the crew, which is Arise Risen, played by Arise Barr. 
Um, and then you have the the doomed cameraman that Dave already mentioned, who is uh, Daniel Moskowitz, played by Adam Grimes. Um, but Dave, you're talking about Caleb Sweetser, the actor who was in like No Country for Old Men, like you said, antiviral, Get Out, uh, The Dead Don't Die. Uh, this dude always just plays like such uh, a total believable character. Uh, he's one of those actors that I feel like every time I watch him, he's just playing himself. Well, we got we got the cast down. What Kevin, what did, what did you think of the movie overall? I remember like you, I remember being super skeptical of this movie. Um I don't know if I've mentioned it during some of the other found footage flicks that we've talked about, but I I'm kind of a sucker for him. I'm like the idiot that's like I'm going to watch 50 of them and even if one of them's good, I'm going to watch another 50 and, <laughs> and, and inevitably 49 out of 50 suck, but I'm right back there like for the punishment. Um, and this one I went in very much like, yeah, this is not going to be good. Like we've done like the theology thing to death at this point. We've done the girl bent over backwards. I've seen, yes, I've right. seen the ring. I've exactly. seen the grudge. Um, and I was really pleasantly surprised by this movie. Um, and here, here's the thing. Um, Cotton Marcus is this entire movie. Uh, C- Caleb Sweetser, the, the character, is fantastic. But I feel like we, we talk about a lot, um, and I think we'll probably discuss it in depth in the future, how a lot of younger actors get their footing in horror. Or a lot of younger directors might get their fo- footing in horror. But some of the two, the last two movies we're going to talk about tonight, one thing I noticed is Patrick Fabian, who plays Cotton Marcus, he's a lifelong older character actor. And The Last Exorcism is his like really only starring role, and he murders it. Um, and then in the movie we'll talk about next, the, the same thing happens. You have some of these older actors that you know maybe did all this great TV stuff and were some character actors in movies, but uh, I loved this just for Cotton Marcus's character, period, and his portrayal of it. And I think it's great that kind of a seasoned vet gets a starring turn um, and really knocks it out of the park. Um, it's an it's an example for me. It's an example, and, and this is a constant thing uh, of the power of expectations. Like you're expecting nothing, you go and you see something pretty pretty good, you know, and you're like, damn, that was great. But then sometimes you watch it again a few years later. Um, it didn't really cotton to me, you know, quite the same. Or I didn't cotton to it, I guess, um, the second time. But I still really liked it. And you could do a lot worse if you're cruising Netflix. This is on Netflix. No extra rentals. Um, you could do uh, you could do a lot worse than the last exorcism. Well, Trent, you were talking about too how this movie wasn't really all that well seen. It actually was. This movie was made for. Well, excuse two- the fuck out of me, Kevin. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that this movie was a surprise hit. I mean, it, it made 68 million on a two million dollar budget. Um, and, and I didn't. I didn't. Okay, I didn't necessarily want to bring that up to us. No, to, I want you. To, I want uh, you know. I. I it was, thinking it, it was that enough. It was lesser scene. But. It was enough to spawn a sequel. Um, oh, which, oh I, right. Which I thought, interestingly, uh, sort of took a page out of the Blair Witch book, where Blair Witch Project is obviously, you know, one of the most legendary found footage films. And then Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, was it, it totally threw out the found footage thing and went for a traditional kind of Hollywood movie shoot. And The Last Exorcism 2 brings back Ashley Bell as uh, Nell, um, 
which is still one of my favorite names. I literally just always picture Jodie Foster, and I want to just go, Tay in the wind. <laughs> uh, it brings her back, but it, it ditches the found footage aspect and goes like full Hollywood shoot. Um, both Book of Shadows and uh, Last Exorcism 2, by the way, in my opinion, are, are total pieces of garbage. How could, um, they, how could they bring Nell back after the end of The Last Exorcism? Well, if you want to watch the movie, Trent, you can find out for yourself. Do I? Do you tell oh, you, me I, I don't think you do. <laughs> no. The first time in history that Kevin doesn't give away the ending. Or the <laughs> Come well, the, on. The, the, the ending is, is, I love the ending because, and, and maybe it's um, a little bit abrupt, or and uh, maybe it also is a little bit out of genre, because you, you kind of go from the possession movie, like, bang, the ending is very um, 70s, is a little more 70s satanic panic type thing. I really liked it, but it, in retrospect, the second time, uh, I thought it was maybe a little abrupt, and I'm not sure how you get a sequel out of that. Um, maybe I'll find out. Maybe I won't. Well, when you pick a movie, you kind of feel obligated to defend it. You I don't. kind of feel obligated to stand behind it. It happened to me last I don't. week. See, that's what makes me week. different. I was like, oh, I picked a stinker. What am I going to do? Uh, I say for your picks, I would say this is below your u- usual batting average. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't, I don't care what anyone thinks about a movie. It doesn't make me feel bad about myself. If, you know, I, I'm interested in hearing other people's takes. Are you attacking Kevin? I don't take it as a personal. I don't take it as like a personal thing. Like you're attacking Kevin. I assume your you like me well. Is I, why he responds that way. I assume you like me well enough as a person. And you know, this movie, I think it's pretty good. But I could see, yeah, you know. Um, you know, if it wasn't your cup of tea, it wasn't your cup of tea. Anyway, I had never seen this movie. <laughs> um, I had never seen this movie. I really liked it for like the first half of it, maybe even the first three quarters. I was like, fuck yeah, this dude, he's not, you know, he's going to expose the church because exorcisms are fake and all this and yada, yada, yada. And I love, I love Patrick Fabian. I've, I watch Better Call Saul. He's great on Better Call Saul. Oh, oh shit. Yeah. Right. Because he's such a douchebag and he's so tan in Better Call Saul. And now he's like this nice, like church guy who's like, doesn't want children to get murdered when they're exercised. And I'm like, I'm team Patrick Fabian. You know what I mean? And then... I was like, oh, it's probably going to turn into, like, a normal exorcism movie. But I was ready for that. And then it just twisted all over the place in the last 30 minutes. And I was like, I don't like this movie anymore. You know what I want to do? I want to do some fucked up shit and just say I was possessed. You, I want to go yeah. around, like, telling everyone to fuck off. Is that different? Pissing all over people's faces. Blame That's, it on, I guess it's blame it on, different. You can blame it on Captain Howdy and Admiral Charlie. Oh yeah. Sorry, I, I was possessed. I got a, I was possessed. I got an exorcism. It's okay now. Sorry about that. Well, that's that's already what I tell people when I'm asked to explain your behavior. So, if you would cooperate <laughs> with me, I think it would work. It would work better. I I think Jesus H Christ. For me personally, from a nerd standpoint, um, one thing that I cannot forgive this. Do you have another standpoint? No, that. But one thing. <laughs> Do the uh, cool guy standpoint. <laughs> Maybe that's what I think is the cool standpoint, Dave. Maybe that's my, pers- my look. My perception is my reality. 
I this movie has so many like potentially researchable things that are all completely made up that I was so fucking disappointed. Like in the beginning of the movie when uh, Patrick Fabian or Cotton Marcus's dad pulls out the the Hortus Delicarum, the book, I'm like oh shit I'm going down a rabbit hole tonight and then I like look it up and it's like yeah they made that whole thing up I'm like fuck oh. you <laughs> like, or like throw out like the Esther of Antioch which is kind of a bible thing but again they use so many like loose terms and none of it's legit um, I thought I was going to come into talking about the last exorcism and give you guys like a full sermon uh, and I have nothing which I'm sure you're grateful for <laughs> Well, the, the Lord, the Lord works in mysterious ways. <laughs> well, when all God's children get together, what a time, what a time, what a time. We are going to sit down by the banks of the river. What a time, what a time. Kevin, you chose... 2013's The Sacrament this week, a Thai West number. I don't know why, but when Faith came up, for some reason The Sacrament popped in. And Trent, you brought up a great point that this is the first time on the show, um, and we're like, what, 50, 60 movies in. This is the first time Ty West has popped up. So this is a 2013 flick uh, directed and written by Ty West. It's also the second pick in a row on this show uh, that was presented by Eli Roth because he also presented The Last Exorcism. Mm. Um, so basically we're talking about, um, a trio of vice journalists. So vice is a legit entity in the world. Uh, one of the employees, uh, his sister, after uh, a couple years of drug addiction, joined a clean living community in Mississippi. Uh, he hasn't heard from her for a while. He gets a mysterious letter and reads it to a director and a cameraman, of course, because the trio has to fit perfectly, uh, that she has now moved with this community to another country, um, and she would like him to visit. So, of course, they think it's a great idea to get the gang together and go investigate, do a vice uh, journalism piece on it. Um, and essentially what we're talking about is a modern retelling of, of Jonestown. Um, I, I enjoyed it after, I don't know, it's probably my second or third watch. Um, I thought Ty West did a great job. Um, I thought the cast was, was really good. Um, and then I guess ultimately it sent me down a Jonestown rabbit hole that I wish I had never, ever, uh, gone down. Mm. I had the same experience, uh, with this movie. Um, when it first came out and it did send me down a rabbit hole and the rabbit hole was compelling. It was much more compelling than I found this movie. <laughs> Although I did like the bargain bin, John Goodman. <laughs> he, Good call. He was the man. Um, but I even thought it was John Goodman. I remember when it first came out and I saw him Me on too, the cover. Dave, you and I talked about that. Like, literally, when we <laughs> talked about so this cool. movie, I was like, dude, it's the one that looks like John Goodman's on the cover, right? I usually really like Vice stuff, especially the, the creepy stuff. I found this one a little less convincing, but it did, you know, uh, it did send me down an avenue of, you know, some very interesting things. Like I said, uh, I don't know if it's because I'm a musician or what, but... I've had a lot of cult experiences and like the first half of this movie I was like that's hardly even a red flag <laughs> like you know like what's the big problem like you've been telling everybody openly about you're about to have a kid 
And it's like, oh my God, he, how do you know that I had a kid? Because you're fucking telling everybody you're about to have a kid. And then they play this suspenseful music. He was complaining like all that clapping. And like, it wasn't even, it wasn't even scary. Like I have, I have four cult experiences that I've had that have been absolutely insane. And I can't believe that I've had run-ins with cult, with cults, but one of them was with Trent in, was it, were we in Utah? Uh, Mystic Springs, Utah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> right. And I remember like when we pulled in, uh, we saw all these broken, what we thought were, I guess they were broken down buses and they were homes that all the people from the cult lived in these broken down vehicles. And we didn't really put it together that it was a cult until the show was about to start. And I saw people, I, I was on the phone outside and I think I described to Trent is like, I just saw a medicine man come out of the woods and then more and more people oh, started coming the out of the woods. <laughs> yeah. It, Oh yeah, I said I just saw a medicine man and a punk rock girl walk out of the woods in the dark. And this is like it's pitch dark in the middle of absolute nowhere, Utah. Like the stars are not throwing much light out here, and I, it wasn't clear to me when we first we had to drive this long road up there. We were like three or four hours late, so it's like ten thirty or more before we even get there, and all the vehicles. It looked like one of those movies where you see all the old vehicles of the people that died there, to me. So there was like really... The Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, it was really ominous. But then it turned out people were living in them, and they were offering us to stay in them. And then um, by the time the guy told us he was going to... We have dinner before the show. By that time, I'm wondering if we just need to get out of here, because Dave has told me about the people in the woods. And... (laughs) This guy and his wife, they're serving up, mixing up this meal, and they got, like, a big thing of Kool-Aid on the table, like, literal Kool-Aid. No, they did not. No, they, they did, did not. <laughs> Absolutely not. 100% they served so us Kool-Aid. So I'm like, 100%. I'm like, it was a situation, like, if I just don't do anything, if I don't follow my instincts, uh, we could all die tonight. Oh my god! Or you know, or um, I could like say, guys, we should just leave. We're gonna have to just leave. Let's just go. And I, I went with the um, dying. I was just like, well, <laughs> I guess I'm gonna eat this and drink this Kool Aid. Literally, you drank I the Kool Aid. Well, I was, I was thinking on a best case, maybe um, there would be like acid. And I thought maybe he was gonna dose us. Also, that was my my best case, but it was neither. <sighs> Cat, what did you think of this one? Assuming you hadn't seen it before. I hadn't seen it before. Um, as soon as I saw Vice across the screen, my mind went to um, an episode of the show. Have you ever seen Documentary Now? Yes. On yes. IMC? I love that show. So it's Bill Hader and Fred Armisen. Um, they're basically just like making different episodes about different like documentary styles. And there's this one episode where they do a Vice documentary style and the whole premise of the episode is that they vice keeps sending journalists out to like film in these places and they keep getting killed so they just keep sending other vice journalists in their place and then they get it's like the whole so that's all i thought of at first i was just like well i'm just gonna see a bunch of vice people die um honestly I would have much rather just watched a documentary on jonestown like this was absolutely just Ty West 
and maybe Eli Roth, if he had any hands in this besides just putting his name on it, um, just doing a retelling of Jonestown, but with different names, even down to the weird sunglasses that he wears all the time, the father guy. It's exactly Jonestown. So It's Jim I, Jones. It's definitely Jim Jones. Yeah, yeah so I, I would have much rather just watched a documentary, listened to a podcast. Um, we talked about this before in our group text, but the, the audio from the actual Jonestown um, suicide situation the death was tape. the death tape way... I would have much rather listened to that oh, than watch really? this fucking oh. movie. I wish it was a more complete retelling of Jonestown. Like it's a very uh. lame version of Jonestown. Mm-hmm. But I, I listened to the death tape, the final speech of Jim Jones after we watched this. I listened to that whole thing, and I was, <laughs> I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I guess quote unquote, definitely more than this movie. Um, I thought this was. Uh, Stinker of the week for sure. Um, <laughs> the acting was terrible. Um, I didn't believe any of the actors at all. The the jo- the Jim Jones guy, the 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 uh, bargain bin Goodman. I guess he was <laughs> he was f- fine. Like, and he has one scene at the end that was pretty good. But I didn't really buy any of these characters. It's all very stilted, and even the film grain isn't like the film grain that you would expect from what it's purporting to be. Um, Even, like, at the end, with with the whole climax, which is just, like, it's just people frothing at the mouth. Like, that's all. they just like, all right, everybody, put your froth in your mouth. And then I didn't really understand (laughs) why the guards were going crazy. Um, eh, But that's what happened. Um, I feel like the movie could have ended like a good 20 minutes before it did. Like we didn't need that last like half hour of people dying. Not to well, spoil then it. You, then but you would have had a really even more boring movie. I guess. I don't know. I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't team the sacrament this week. I would recommend, however, The Innkeepers, 2011, and House of the Devil, 2009. Terrific Ty West movies. Uh, I am a big fan of his stuff generally. Uh, This one, I just think, was a misfire. Friends, it's time for the news. Praise God. But sometimes the gospel can require more than a choir to inquire quietly. Ma'am, ma'am, Raphael, to you I do inquire. Do you feel the Lord? I don't. So let's start there. Um, I come, I come from a long line of uh, parents trying to force their children into religion, uh, starting with the Irish Catholics. Bless up. Got that uh, Catholic guilt in my veins, running wild. Um, but when I was growing up. In my house, I went through, my parents went through this born-again Christian situation when I was 14 or 15, which is a very uh, weird time in a young girl's life to then decide to, uh, to instill these, uh, these Christian values onto them. Um, my parents made me go to some church in Bitterford. I can't remember the name. I wish I could because I would fucking spam it and I would cancel. I would cancel them. I would burn that place down. Um, 
But I don't know if you've ever seen two grown adults get baptized in real life, but holy shit, is it the most terrifying thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Um, my parents, like, didn't listen to me and my sister when we were trying to tell them that these people are literally crazy that you're making us go and see them. We drive like an hour and a half to go see them every week. And then they shoved you into this weird fucking tub and said these really weird things while they were touching your fucking forehead the whole time. Um, but there was one instance in which they finally realized what, had what they had done to all of us in that we were at some weird Sunday service and we're sitting in the front row. I'm not a front row person, but there we were. And all of a sudden this person just comes, this pastor, a guest pastor came up to us and was like touching me and my sister's foreheads, trying to get the, the devil out. And then this person started talking in tongues right in front of us in the middle of fucking Biddeford, Maine. And in that moment, I looked at my parents and was like, do you see now? And they kind of understood and, and stood up and were like, we're never coming back here ever again. But it was fucking terrifying. They were, and I hate to be that person that automatically dislikes someone when I find out that they believe or follow at least Christianity or Catholicism or anything like that. But seeing the things that I fucking saw and the shitty way that all those people treated me because I was some little fat goth kid that was just trying to go to the Taste of Chaos show in Portland after the Sunday service and my mom said, please just don't put your makeup on before we go. Do it in the car on the way there before I drop you off. They were all shitty. All of them were convinced I was gay and were really mean to me. I knew this was gonna be a, an interesting week for me because I just get very mad, I get very stressed when religion comes up because I've been through a lot of shitty shit because of people's religious beliefs.
You want me to sing? Pass that collection plate over here, bitch. I'm getting paid, bro.